Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett. And today's guest is Mandy B. Anderson. Mandy is a TEDx speaker, award-winning best-selling author. She co-founded Rayma Team LLC, a life and leadership coaching company for women. And she's co-host of the Fearless Feminine Leadership Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. She helps female leaders navigate hard choices, speak up, and get noticed. Mandy shares her story of living with cystic fibrosis to encourage others to courageously live their lives to the fullest, no matter what they face. She is a certified life and executive coach and was awarded the honor of being chosen for the top 25 women in business with Prairie Business Magazine in 2020. Mandy lives by the water in North Dakota with her husband, Nate, and her baby, Indigo. Mandy, welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. Thank you so much, Jeanette. It is an honor to be here with you today. Absolutely. It's my honor to connect with you. As an author, you've written so many books. The book that you published last year, let's talk about that. Sure. So the book I published last year is called Dangerous Hope, and it is all about planting something meaningful in the soil of disappointment. And so I take the reader through what hope looks like and all the different characteristics that you need to know about. Because the biggest thing I've noticed in my career is that people really wrestle with hope, especially when they start to lose hope because something isn't happening as fast as they thought, or it doesn't look like the way they thought it would look. And so people tend to lose hope in those moments. And how do you climb yourself out of that pit of despair? That's the journey that I take them on through the lens of a moment in my life where I hoped for something really big of being miraculously healed of an incurable disease called cystic fibrosis. And what happened when I put my faith into action and decided to stop taking my medicine, which I actually need to be able to live and function. It didn't go the way I wanted at all. It didn't pan out. So I had to really wrestle with what is hope and where is my faith and my hope in all of this? I think Hope has been the theme of my life from as far back as I can remember. It seems to be a topic that I write about a lot, whether it's in music or books or coaching. So it just seemed like Dangerous Hope was the message that was ready to come out for last year. I can appreciate that. As I was reading several chapters of your book, what intrigued me was your investigation or discovery of the different levels of hope. Reverend Jesse Jackson used to have a slogan, keep hope alive, okay? When I was in corporate America, we had an executive who coined the phrase, hope is not a plan. And at that time, I really thought it was clever. However, as I read the chapters of your book and you define different levels of hope, if I actually met up with her again, that hope can be a plan. 
I would agree with you. I think we've probably all heard that phrase that hope is not a plan. It's not a strategy that you can follow. The time shift that I really invite the reader into in Dangerous Hope is what if it could be? What if we learned the different levels of hope and the cycle of dangerous hope? And every time we went through that cycle, we became a person who could handle what we're hoping for. I think that's what hope is all about. I think it sends just hoping for something from a religious or a faith standpoint. It transcends just hoping and believing. But what are we doing to prepare for what can happen? What are we doing to learn the lessons as we go through it? Because it isn't just A, B, and a straight line there. As everybody has seen these memes online, right? You have point A, you have point B, and then you have all the twists and turns in the middle. And a lot of people give up at the first twist or the first turn Or they're like half through and they just can't do it anymore because they haven't learned how to cultivate their experience in a meaningful way. So one of the things that fascinated me about some of what you share in your book is the relationship you have with your father and those coffee Mm -hmm. chats that you have with him and the story Mm -hmm. that he told about planting and sowing and all of that. So I'm an only child and my parents and I have always had a pretty close relationship. I think growing up, I think part of our journey has been learning how to grow separately as individuals as I got older and what does our relationship look like and all of that. Because when I was born with cystic fibrosis, for listeners that maybe don't know what that is, it's a genetic disease that affects your respiratory and digestive system, and there's no cure for it. What happens is a lot of times your body produces too much mucus, and eventually you get a lot of lung infections, and you can't breathe. It You essentially suffocate on your own bodily fluid. And it was one of those things when I was born in the 80s, there wasn't a really good outlook for CF. And so the fact that I am going to be 41 in a couple months is a big deal because medical technology has advanced in so many amazing ways where the future for cystic fibrosis really is hopeful. And I think through the years, my dad and I, we have coffee dates and we don't have them like once a month or in any type of cyclical manner. Whenever we can get together, we have coffee dates and catch up. And these have become some of my favorite things with my dad because we have really deep conversations. And several years ago, I'm one of those people, I am a woman of faith. I can be quirky. I feel like I have very vivid dreams where I feel like God is speaking to me sometimes. And I was journaling one morning and just having some prayer time. And I felt as though God was telling me to ask my dad about the process of planting and reaping and harvesting and so and all of that. And I thought it was weird because my dad was a farmer when I was a kid, but he hasn't been a farmer or hadn't been a farmer for decades at that point in time. And I just let it go. And then it kept coming back. And so I had coffee with him and I brought my journal and I told him that I am supposed to ask you about the process of planting. Like I'm supposed to glean some sort of wisdom from you about your experience as a farmer and what you know about planting something and harvesting and what that process is like. And we ended up having a two hour conversation where I took pages and pages of notes. The journal, if I showed it to you today and dug it out of wherever it is in my office, it's falling apart because I have referred to it so many times because what he taught me has since become some pretty foundational material 
that we now teach at my company, Raina Team. And we teach this concept of, are you getting stuck in the weeds or are you sowing the seeds of becoming a person who can handle what you're hoping for? Becoming a person who can help lead and influence other people into something better. And is what you're planting leaving the legacy that you want to leave? And so that's one of my most favorite conversations with my dad. I had no idea at that point in time that it would someday be part of a book. I honestly thought it was going to be something that I maybe needed to share with the women of an upcoming conference that we were doing. That's as far as I thought it would go. And that probably was 2017, 2018. And here we are years later, the world looks way different. And this has been content that has given a lot of people a lot of hope, actually. I can understand it. I think one of the parallels you use in the book is you say that the art of planting is perhaps one of the simplest forms of dangerous hope. The art of planting. I thought that was quite incredible to take the actual experiences that you've had. And if we rewind that and Mm -hmm. talk about the time when your father was farming, you talked about that and how Mm -hmm. orderly everything was. But the thing that your father shared with you about the Mm -hmm. importance of the mulch, I thought that was very interesting as well. You want to share a little bit of that? Yeah. So mulch is actually a really important process of the farming process, because that is where you work the organic matter into the ground and it can really make your field more rich. And so my dad was talking and he said, the mulch of life is things like discouragement and your mistakes. And if you don't risk going through life and going through those things, you will miss that mulch. And so I think throughout the book, I tell the story of what I went through. And then I work that mulch into the ground, into the chapters, because that's how we grow as human beings, right? A lot of people, and especially in the coaching industry, maybe you've experienced this, Jeanette, where people want to focus so much on mindset that they fall into this toxic positivity thinking, where they are refusing to acknowledge the hard things because they only want to focus on what's positive. And while there might be some benefit to that, and there definitely can be, we miss working the mulch into the ground when we only focus on the positive. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We have to be able to go through it. Thank you for that because I'm one of the mindset people. And Mm -hmm. I started with working on my own mindset. And as I was massaging that over time, I began to realize that it's everything, your perspective and how you look at things. Mm -hmm. But you have to make sure that what you're looking at is true to you and or is something that you accept for what it is. So mm-hmm. I have been saying it is what it is. That's the reality of it. I was talking to this one woman and she was wailing about what's going on in the world globally and everything. I said, we have a couple of choices. We can dig a hole and jump in or we can remain optimistic and hopeful. So you have a choice. Mm-hmm. I know that was hardcore, but that's the bottom line. And it wasn't a coaching session. Thank God. They probably would ask them for the money back. <laughs> okay. But in essence, when I saw the toxic positivity, that kind of rang mm-hmm. a bell with me and... That is so true because it's almost like having blinders on. No matter what's Mm -hmm. going on around you, you're going to be positive. And that's not possible. I think anybody who takes a dive into the deep end of personal growth, I think we all go through this journey where when we're learning about mindset, we go way over to one way. So we're rewiring how we've been thinking and what we've been saying for decades before that moment in time. And then as we start going through some things, we realize, okay, 
okay, wait, it's good to be intentional with what we're speaking. It's not good to pretend like the hard stuff isn't there. And I think, especially in this day and age, when we look at mental health and where things are at in the world, telling people to just look on the bright side actually can cause more damage. It's not as helpful as we think it is. We got to give them the critical thinking skills to be able to see both, okay, the reality of where they're at, how are they growing through this? What do we wish would have happened? What can happen now? What might still be possible? What do you want to do with what you were hoping for? I think we have to be willing to look at all aspects of those questions and not put any shame or guilt on ourselves if we wake up one morning and we just see a lot of doom and gloom. I have to be careful with that because my personality can really go towards, oh, let's just stay positive. But I've learned that you only can work the mulch into your ground when you're willing to look at the hard stuff and admit, hey, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe there's more to this story. And because I went through it now, Mm -hmm. yeah, there might be trauma and that might not be great, Mm -hmm. but I see a different angle now. So what is that preparing me for in the future? And I think the more we can ask ourselves that, the better off we are going to be and the more we can help other people. No, I see that. I see that. And something that you bring out in your book is that there's some hard questions that come out of what you're experiencing as you go through the different stages. But you do say that hope is a long game and it may seem easy, but it's not. So to hang in there, love your dad. Don't even know him, but love your dad. Okay. You talked about burning Mm -hmm. the fields and things of that nature. So in my travels, I've seen controlled burns of some farmlands. But you know what? When I read that and he explained to you the danger of doing that, a lot of farmers have taken the shortcut, but they were burning out all the nutrients in the soil. And in your book, you defined for us how to understand the different levels of hope. And uh, one thing that I came to understand is, of course, it's a long game. Many people think I've been positive. Why isn't it happening right Mm -hmm. now? You provide a, a lot of examples of individuals like yourself and others who hung in there, persistent over time with the mindset of a positive outcome. There'll be challenges along the way. And I think that sometimes there might be some misunderstanding about this shouldn't mm-hmm. be hard. It should be easy because I'm hopeful and I'm positive. And why mm-hmm. isn't this happening right now? Have you talked in that way? What do you get back when you talk about hope when you're working with mm-hmm. people? Absolutely. I think when you are talking with people about this process and the cycle of dangerous hope, as a coach, you have to know where they're at and their ability to handle hard questions because not everybody is ready for them right away. So the job of a coach is to baby step them into being ready for those deeper questions. I always think the questions that I ask are simple because I've had to ask them of myself first. So I've asked them of myself and I have moved along in the journey where I forget get what it's like for somebody when it's the first time they've thought of this. And so I often hear clients say, oh gosh, you ask such hard questions. And it's because a lot of times human nature is to not ask ourselves questions or other people. We want to talk. We don't want to ask questions. And so really when I work with a client, whether it's in a one-on-one or in a group session, one of my favorite things to do is to have them take out a pen and paper and give them space to actually write the question down. And because I love music, I will often in a group setting have a song picked out that I can play in the background because people don't like feeling awkward writing their answers in silence. They want to be able to know that 
people aren't just staring at them. So a lot of times having that, just finding the right song to play for a journal exercise like that can be really helpful because it eases the discomfort or the embarrassment even of having to write something down because some people get really easily embarrassed by taking a moment. Other people get really emotional, good or bad. Sometimes they might tear up and it could be because they're happy and they're thankful, or it could be because, wow, They have a lot of pent up anger and they're just now letting it out. And so I think as a coach, I've had to learn how to be comfortable with whatever reaction the client in front of me has. That's Um, good. And that has come through a lot of practice. When you mentioned that you had to give some tough love. I remember I have two examples early on in my career and both of these clients, we still talk today where we've actually become friends. And one of them, we were working on some confidence issues And I show a picture of her from an event of ours and it brought forth a negative reaction that she actually started yelling in the session. She wasn't yelling at me. She was just that worked up about the feelings that she had. And I remember walking out of that session and I told my business partner, I'm like, I'm not sure she's going to stay a client anymore. And the next week she came back, everything was fine. We had a good conversation about it. She was actually really thankful for the hard questions that I asked during that time. But I was proud of myself because I was like, I didn't cry. Like I had this person in front of me who was very worked up about her feelings to the point where her voice was to a level that could be construed as yelling. And I just stayed focused and challenged her, gave her some love and let her know her feelings were totally justified and let her figure out what she wanted to do with it. I didn't take it on as myself. And sometimes coaches can take on, oh my gosh, they reacted that way. I must've done something wrong. A lot of times it's what they're feeling in that moment. I wonder what it was that kind of triggered her. Yeah. It was a lot of things that she had been working on through the years. To this day, we laugh about it and she (laughs) totally doesn't mind that I share that. So if she's in the audience, she will get up and tell her side of it and what it felt like for her. She is a coach herself. So I think for her journey, that was really an important moment. I think this might've been the same year. I had another client who came in and the majority of the session, she was complaining about something. And to the point where I couldn't even really coach her on anything because she just wanted to verbally process and everything came out negative. And by the end of the session, I said, our time is up and all you've done is complain. She stopped and she was like, whoa. She has told me several times since then, that was a turning point for me because I didn't realize I was doing that. And it helped me think more about what am I saying and what actually needs to be said so I can fix it versus am I just sitting here stewing? So I think as coaches, we need to learn how to do that. And when it comes to hope, Not everybody is ready to go through the hard questions of different levels of the cycle of dangerous hope. I would agree with that. One chapter in your book, I think it was chapter four or five, the song that popped into my head was the song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Yes. Yep. I actually went to YouTube to pull it up so I could hear it again. There was something in that chapter that kind of just clicked and triggered that song in mm-hmm. my head. And that reminded me perhaps of the resilience that is needed even through those times when you are being almost dangerously hopeful. However, things are not lining up exactly the way you had hoped for. Mm-hmm. Something gets in the way of it. There's a setback. There's a disappointment. And many back up 
And others say, I'm going to make it through this. That song resonated with me. <laughs> yep. That is a song from my high school days. And I love it. I'm like, yes, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I can't think of the group. Is it like Chubba or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. Because I didn't know the name of the group. All I remember is yeah. the song happened at a special time in my life. It was a time when I was working through some things mm-hmm. and it became almost like a theme song. I don't know. It, it just brought back memories. But mm-hmm. it's true, though. Disappointments do set people back and they lose their momentum, whatever the momentum is. And maybe the momentum is just incremental and they can't see progress and Mm -hmm. any setback throws them, flattens them out. And that's pretty unfortunate. You mentioned your faith a lot in the book to the extent of how it connected with being hopeful or having Mm -hmm. hope and the belief through your faith and through the different worship services. When you see others who got hands laid on them or anointed with oil and you see all these things and you interpret it as real. How much of that played into your decision to basically be done with all of the medication? Oh, it played in 100%. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated and left a review or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations. So until then, keep that fire burning.